Greetings, friend. Thanks for joining us. I'm Karen Broadhead, founder and director of Mothers Who Know. All women have mother hearts. You are needed here because your light and desires matter. I want to personally invite you to thoughtfully act for yourself and come check out all of the wonderful in Mothers Who Know. Speaking of wonderful, welcome and come on into our Mothers Who Know Boundaries podcast series. We have created several awesome episodes for you by enlisting the help of our trusted friend, Ashley Lovett, clinician for the Worth Group here at Life Changing Services and Marriage Repair Instructor. Our hope is to increase your understanding and confidence around boundaries. The thought of setting a healthy boundary is something we can all vocalize, but how do we go about it? What does that really look like right where we live as we try to do our bumpy best in our relationships? Often, it feels kind of big and confusing to me. You may be surprised to discover that boundaries are ultimately just about you and how you prioritize feeling the spirit in your life, which is super cool. And one of the reasons we appreciate how Ashley teaches boundaries, because in Mothers You Know, we do the important work of owning our personal battlefield, discovering where our power lies by fighting the real battle. The real battle is to keep the spirit. When we keep the spirit, we win all the battles. It's neat to notice that we have been talking the language of boundaries here in Mothers You Know without saying the word boundary. Like, stay by the tree, own your field. Notice, just notice, stay in your truth, and you are the atmosphere angel darkness spheres because you discern the three spheres of power. There's my power, your power, and God's power. Whenever you step out of your sphere of power, you become miserable. And one of our favorite boundaries things to say that brings so much clarity and relief there's only one savior, and it's not you. You get to be the mother who fights with and for our savior and champion, Jesus Christ, to support his great work, to bring to pass the success of your family. We can cheerfully do those things that lie in our power, then stand still with assurance to see God's power revealed. Alrighty then. We would love your feedback. Enjoy the series and be sure to listen at the end of each episode so you don't miss how to find out more about our neat Q&A meeting with Ashley Lovett when our Boundaries podcast series concludes. Be sure to note your questions along the way and check out the show notes for some great info. Okay, let's get to it. All right. Any questions or comments from where we were last week? Last week, we talked a little bit about the first stages of boundary work, which is understanding some of your core needs. We talked about the Bill of Rights and what that can look like individually. Has anyone thought about these concepts? I have thought about them a lot. I haven't written like my Bill of Rights or anything. I haven't done the really good work, but I have really thought about that. And the thing I really was profoundly emphasized to me was just the fact that it it's a bill of rights 
to help monitor my own behavior as well as how I respond in a situation. So I just really, that was really profound to me because before I just felt like boundaries were a fence to keep other people in their behavior, right? And, or like some kind, I just think I had a wrong perception of what boundaries were, but I just love the concept of how it makes us a better person because we manage our behavior based on our boundaries as well. So I just thought that was cool. Good. I'm, I'm glad that that has stood out to you and that it was something that you thought about throughout the week. At some point, did you find yourself throughout the week remembering any of the things that we talked about? Like, oh, in this moment, I want to remember. Or is it still just a vague idea? Does that question make sense? I think I remember better when I have done it wrong. (laughs) So like I remembered after a situation like, oh, yeah, I don't really want to do that to keep the spirit in my home. Like I don't want to have a different response. Even when someone else attacks me, I want to be able to handle it differently and not shoot back and get defensive. So yes, I thought of it after I had not done it well, (laughs) but I'm hoping I can think of it in beforehand in the future. (laughs) Yes. No, I think that's so common. And I'm glad that you said that because when we're first learning new things, our brain doesn't know that that's a pathway that's even available yet, let alone to take it. And so we're not going to remember it before it happens at the beginning. It's kind of like, maybe this isn't an everyone thing, but I'm going to talk as if it is. (laughs) My experience, every morning I get up, I drive my kids and I take them to school and we take the same way to school every single morning. Well, it's spring break this week. So when I got up and I got in my car and we were headed to the grocery store, we almost ended up at the school because just like, this is the path that I take in order to get there, right? That's what our brain does too. This is just the path that I take. It's just... It's just habit. This is where I go. And so when there's a new path, we go, we end up pretty far down the old path before our brain says, oh, wait, I was supposed to be going this way. I was going to the store today, not the other one. So that's that's probably the first step of, oh, I have a new path I'm going to take is acknowledging, wait, I forgot to take it to begin with. (laughs) Any other thoughts on this? Well, Well, I haven't really gone into much in depth, like thinking of it, but I've noticed that the things that I'm trying to do are linked to what I'm learning, what you're teaching us about boundaries. And, and I'm hearing other people speak about it or speak about it maybe incorrectly or just, I'm just like, I'm noticing it more that, that, oh, okay, this is not saying that it wasn't real, but it's just like, oh, this is something that everybody's trying to figure out and everybody has what their bill of rights look like, but they call it something else or just, it's so noticing. So it's definitely been like a good kind of intro to what it is is what I'm trying to say yeah thank you yes it is just an intro and it's fascinating once you start looking for boundaries how they just kind of pop up everywhere yesterday in Relief Society we were talking about President Nelson's talk from the Sunday morning session and even in that we ended up talking about boundaries and what they look like and personal boundaries and how increasing momentum doing these different things is a personal boundary and how that's including what's and it's just kind of fascinating as you start beginning to see and I like that you acknowledge it's not always the same terms for everyone but there's different ways of speaking about things but they mean similar thing, ideas that's kind of where we're going to start today so in looking at the list of of boundary grievances that we came up with last week when everyone was talking about just something that they're hoping to gain time after time there was boundaries versus kindness or how to have boundaries and love or how to have boundaries 
without how to have boundaries with your family because you don't want to give everything and be fully sucked in. So I'm summarizing all of these different things with the word serving, boundaries and service, and what that looks like. So we're going to talk a little bit today about boundaries and service, but we're going to start with what have we been taught about service previously and how has that maybe applied in our life and compare it to a couple other things. So I'm going to put up two sets of scriptures and they're ones that we recognize. They're ones that we see when we talk about them, they might conflict a little bit. And so we're just going to notice some different perspectives, different labels for things, starting right here. So we are going to begin with Mosiah 2.17. Surprise, surprise. And behold, I tell you these things that ye may learn wisdom, that ye may learn that when ye are in the service of your fellow beings, ye are only in the service of your God. So on the left here, we have one set of scriptures. So Mark 8 kind of follows along the same lines. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. Now, growing up, I don't know if I was explicitly taught this or if I just internalized it incorrectly, but when I heard these two scriptures, what that told me was I need to lose my life, everything about me and my life and everything in order to serve my fellow beings because I want to serve my God, which equated to being kind of drained and struggling and frustrated and resentful and all these other things. Then, but if we compare those two scriptures to what happens in Matthew chapter 7, which is, oh, how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye. Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast the mote of thy brother's eye. When we look at this scripture with the lens of service and boundaries, it talks about before you're going to be able to even help your brother get this thing out of his eye, you're going to need to make sure that you can see clearly. You can't have this giant beam coming out of your own eye. And so some recognitions that service doesn't just mean all the time, anytime, no matter what. There's this kind of asterisk next to it. There's this caveat of make sure you're not the one that needs to be getting served. And there's there's an a intricate balance. Sometimes we're going to be the ones providing service. Sometimes we need to be the ones receiving service. And so we have to be aware of what's going on. Because if we take the first two scriptures without the boundaries of the second scripture, it leads to that draining and that resentment and that feeling like I'm being unappreciated and no one sees me. Any thoughts or questions about these two scriptures and how they compare? I would, I would love for you to share a little bit more. That is so cool to me because I've never thought of that scripture talking about service, the Matthew 7 ones, mm -hmm. right? I, I kind of saw it as weaknesses or faults. Like yeah. you, you know, like you're looking at someone else's weaknesses. Well, you need to correct, you know, don't criticize them, work on yourself. So yeah. Share more of your insights because I'm like, wow, how does that relate to service per se? I love that. I love it. But I, I want a little more of your insight. The first time I saw this as a service scripture, I was in Relief Society and we were having a discussion on visiting teaching and how important visiting teaching was. And, all. you know, you know the talks. I don't need to continue. And the Relief Society president, oh, I'm sitting there in Relief Society just feeling horrible, feeling so guilty. The behind the scenes that was happening was I had a really hard four-year-old. This was ages ago. And 
I had a marriage that was imploding. And so at home, it just was not good. It was just really, really hard. And I'm sitting in Relief Society and they're talking about visiting teaching and the importance of visiting teaching. And I'm feeling more and more guilty and more and more incapable and thinking, I don't have the ability to do that. I don't, I don't have time. I don't have energy. I'm just barely keeping it together myself. I don't have that. And the Relief Society president got up and she spoke about the scripture. And she said, visiting, teaching, and service is important, especially if there's something in your own home that needs to be taken care of first. So if right now you need to be a visiting teacher for your family and you need to focus your service on yourself and on your family, that's fine. We're trying to serve all people here. So just be honest with me and I'll take you off of the people who are able to be a visiting teacher so that you have the energy and the time and the capacity to spend that stabilizing your home. And it blew my mind. <laughs> no, but I do right now. Right now, I can only focus on serving my spouse, serving my kids, trying to get us in an okay place because there was nothing left. I was imploding. There was nothing I could do. And so that's the first time that I heard this. The more and more that I think about it, but the more I feel like order is important. And we're going to look at a couple more scriptures that's going to help us see this dynamic of do I have the ability to give? Do I have the ability to receive? And what does that look like? So let's look at these two scriptures now. All right. On the left, this is a quote that appeared in an Enzyme article in 1990. And then on the right is how they talk in the emotional resilience manual that came out for that new self-reliance class. So in 1990, this is what they would say, or this is what they said. When we do not care enough about others to ask about their hopes or need, they become non-entities off the radar screens of our consciousness. We thereby harm them twice, once by our implicit rejection of them and again by the missed opportunity to encourage them to help lift their pains and burdens and to comfort them. When I read that, it reminds me of everything that I had internalized growing up, right? That it's my job to make sure everyone else is okay. It's my job to make sure nobody's feelings have been hurt based on my be based on my choices or lack thereof. If I didn't think about them, if I didn't acknowledge them, now I've done this huge harm to them. And so it just weighs and weighs and weighs all of these things compared to what is taught currently in the Emotional Resilience Manual, which says, as you reach out to others, remember that you are not responsible for solving their problems or controlling the choices that they make. It is important to set your own healthy boundaries while helping, up, helping others. So if you are a person who is able to be aware and help of just reaching out, so then that's probably something you can do. But if that's not where you're at right now, you have to set your own healthy boundaries. And they're going to look different for every person. And it's going to be based on a variety of different things. Any thoughts or questions on this one? It's interesting from that first comment to this second one, how I, I think of experiences where I've had with that and the people have really been advocates of that first one. And they will say to you or the people that you've neglected or like church or whatever related that you messed up and you, you know, like that's, this is what we're supposed to, like, usually it comes from a release society prison or somebody who's trying to make this happen, trying to like get everybody engaged and, and having, it's interesting that you could take it from a healthier stem. It's almost like, I think that's what the Lord is doing with changing how ministering is that it's, it's about going, being prompted by the spirit 
and not so much about a, a line of things that are supposed to look like and that it's this, it's spirit driven. And if the spirit's telling you, Hey, you are just a little too much right now, and but you will, you will get there, or this is a little thing you can do. Like it's, it's interesting how not everybody sees it that way, but yeah. Yes. Definitely. That spirit led, this is what you can do. This is where you're at. And that understanding of this is what I can control, that I'm not responsible for solving their choices, that I cannot control their behavior, that I can pay attention to where I'm at. So if I am assigned and able to help, this is what I can control. This is how I can do it. This is how much I can give. Love that. It seems more like the second is in keeping with the love thy neighbor as thyself. Yeah. I mean, the, the as thyself part often gets, has not been attended to. Yeah. I'm grateful that it, it seems becoming more and more talked about, right? We hear about it more often now, but we definitely didn't used to. In the 1990s, when this, that first one was being regularly taught and discussed, we didn't hear about the as thyself. We would hear about love thy neighbor as if they were just you. So if you're going to think about you, you should also be thinking about them. Versus, no, you've got to really know yourself and love yourself in order to have that understanding of how to love your neighbor. There's an awareness piece in there. Okay, so pulling from that emotional resilience manual, because I love what they said, we're going to talk about three myths that go along with serving. And then we're going to get into the boundaries of what can help debunk those myths. Again, this is just straight from the emotional resilience manual. It's good stuff, so I don't need to reinvent the wheel. We're just gonna we're just gonna follow along. Myth number one: I am one hundred percent responsible for providing others the help that they need. The reality is, the Savior is the only true healer of souls. But you can be a part of the healing community to bless others. You will become part of this healing community as you offer your unique strengths and perspectives to give when you can. That phrase "when you can," I was talking with my friend about it recently. And she said when she heard that, what clicked in her mind was when you have an abundance, you can take stock of I have this abundance. I have this ability to, if I have an abundance of time, I'm going to give time. If I have an abundance of energy, then maybe I'll go pull some weeds. If I have an abundance of childcare, maybe I can watch kids. An abundance of loving dishes, maybe I can do that, right? Like taking stock of where I have so that I know when I can give. What do I have there when I can? Myth number two, I should be the expert on solving others' problems versus the reality of even professional counselors believe their role is simply helping a person make his or her own changes rather than providing an instruction manual. And as a counselor, I can attest the one of the lines of theory that I buy most into. It's called humanistic. And its basic concept is that individuals are capable of making their own choices and they know what's better for their life better than I do because they know their life better than I do. And so I defer to their judgment. I just kind of help them get through their thought processes and figure out what their judgment is. Our, that's, if that's a role as a counselor, just as an individual, just as a friend or a neighbor or a Relief Society president, we certainly don't need to be the expert on solving someone's problems. Our role is simply to love and minister. The Savior does the healing. On those first two, let's pause. Does anyone have any thoughts on those first two? I should be the expert and I'm 100% responsible for providing the, what they need. So I, I grew up being told by my 
mother <laughs> that I needed to make sure that I was always nice to other people and never said anything unkind because it was, I could be the per person that made or, or broke that person. You know, I was basically responsible for other people, whether, you know, they were happy yeah. or not. And so it really was, I mean, it was just ingrained in me. Like you're responsible for other people's happiness. She never said anything about my own happiness. So <laughs> it's really, but one interesting question I have is when I was at BYU studying psychology, they've talked about the humanistic theory as though that's, that's not okay. The humanistic theory, because it's, it's relying on yourself rather than God or something to that effect. I can't even remember. There's, so I have a question about yeah. that. <laughs> I, I'm a more integrative counselor. So I like humanistic as far as it defers the judgment in the, of who should be making the choices for the individual's life to the individual. And then I take that and combine it with an existential theory that allows for a higher power. And then I definitely go with spiritual based teachings. If someone wants to be my client, I'm going to be talking about God. I can take it out if they would prefer not to. But I feel like that's where our strongest understanding of each other comes from. It's from the spirit. So personally, I, I'm more integrative. I, I pull from my favorite theories. Humanistic, I could see how it might, it might teach that if you were solely a humanistic thing. I'm glad you brought up that. So it wasn't just hanging out there. <laughs> but I want to talk about what you were saying. Always be nice. Never say anything that might hurt someone. You didn't want to be the person that caused them to go home and cry. You didn't want to be the person that caused them to think that that people of the church were mean because everyone's watching us and everyone's aware of our choices, right? But if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. I think that was ingrained in a lot of the cultural teachings that we used to experience. Thoughts? Yeah. And also, and also what about when I, when people said mean things to me and I came home crying, it was always turn the other cheek. Just be nice, you know. So there was no defense. I mean, it was yeah. like you're responsible for how other people feel, and they're responsible for how you feel. But nobody seems to care, and so there's no, there's nowhere for me to to express my feelings. Or yeah, you are not alone in that experience. There are all we're all nodding along. We all experience that same kind of norms that's kind of what was taught that's what we were led to believe was important at the time and i think i think it's got some solid the doctrine is love one another right without any of the boundaries but god is a god of boundaries <laughs> this is something important to him that we have boundaries and so it, we were missing a piece from that which is why i love that things have shifted and we have a more full understanding of what the actual picture is, what service is with things. And I'm, I'm excited to continue. Any other thoughts before we keep going? I think it's just going to lead somewhere really cool. So I'm like, yeah. myth number three, we, there are quick fixes to life's problems. Our culture is one of instant gratification and quick solutions are, oh, and quick solutions are promised for nearly anything, but there are rarely quick fixes to life's problems. Working through change is a process and nearly always takes longer than you think it will. Real change is a refinement process that you and your loved ones have to go through. 
This one, I almost inserted our culture is one of instant gratifications, quick solutions, and simple answers. Like if I, I can just pray it away. I can just pray it away. It'll just go away. Prayer is an important, powerful piece of healing, of changing, of refining. But there aren't these just quick solutions. It takes time. And incremental changes. I really like the application of the creation story that we read in Genesis. That their end goal was an earth that could be inhabitable by mankind. One step of that end goal was dividing light from darkness. That seems pretty, like those are opposites, of course. Of course, it's easy to do that. It seems like such a small incremental step. But that got the whole focus for a little bit. And at the end of that teeny tiny incremental step was, it is good. This is good. This was a good step. And I think we need to take that as well for ourselves. There's no quick fixes. As we're going through these small changes, this small refinement after small refinement, we can't look and say, oh, the end goal, we're still so far away from humans being able to live on the earth. Wasting our time on this small switching between light and darkness was horrible. That's not going to work. We recognize the incremental refining and we acknowledge that it is good. And we allow it to take time. Myth number four. I don't know the right thing to say, so it's better that I don't say anything. The good news is that you don't, that you often don't have to say much. The greatest gift you can give others is to show interest in them, ask questions, listen with love, help them feel safe sharing with you. When I read this one, I felt like it has, that myth goes back to the, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. And because that's what we are trained, if I can't say anything nice, I'm not going to say anything at all. And I don't know really what's happening in their situation. So what if I accidentally hurt their feelings? What if I accidentally say something mean? So rather than risk that accidentally hurting their feelings, I'm just not going to say anything at all. Versus asking questions, acknowledging that there is pain, acknowledging that they're going through something, acknowledging that it is hard, bringing some validity to their reality so that they can feel safe sharing with you. Some people will appreciate it. Some people won't. But I can't control their feelings, right? So I'm going to do my best to acknowledge and be valid. And they take the rest to their savior. And myth number five, this is our last myth. If I help at all, they will always be dependent on me. As you serve, you can set healthy boundaries to make sure you are taking care of yourself and your family. The Lord can guide you so that you serve in ways that strengthen the other person's self-reliance. Never underestimate the power that small and simple acts of love can have in people's lives. And don't be afraid of investing time and love in someone. So if I help at all, they will always become dependent on me. Made me think of that. Give a man a fish, feed him for a night. Teach a man to fish, feed him for the rest of his life analogy. Which I would always then go, but I don't actually know how to fish. I can share the fish that I have. I don't know how to get more. And so I guess if he's just going to be dependent on me, I only have so much fish. And I can't feed him forever. And since I can't teach him how to eat himself, then I guess it's better that I just don't. I don't want them to have to become dependent on me. I can't do this step forever. So rather than do a little bit, I will just not do anything at all. Versus healthy boundaries and what those look like. So we're going to switch into healthy boundaries. But first, I wanted to see if there are any more thoughts about these myths or anything that resonated or stood out to someone. Yeah, go ahead. So it all resonates with me. I like the quick fix where the cosmic vending machine, we think that God is like a cosmic vending machine, you know, ask for what you want and he'll give you. And I've heard that so many times. Well, just ask. 
well, that's not exactly how it works. And then you feel like, oh, well, even God doesn't care about me because he's not giving me what I want when I ask. So mm-hmm. yeah, it sets you up, sets you up for big failure. All yeah. of these things, you know, definitely that incorrect application of ask and you shall receive sets you up yeah. for that perspective that you just said, well, even God doesn't care about me. He's not helping me. He's not giving it to me. And so yeah. what's going on? Thank you. And not, and these other ones were say nothing and don't help because, or they'll be dependent upon you. It's, it's, that's you up for for separating yourself from other people and not and not giving anything it's like a, a satan's lies to to separate us from one another and not serve and not show love and, and absolutely passion. and with i one of the things i love to look for is satan's counterfeit versions of things and so what you were just saying these myths are his counterfeit versions of loving and serving right I want to make sure I love them. So I'm going to express confidence that they can do it themselves. And I'm never, ever, 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 ever going to help or they'll be dependent on me. Which at in times, there are times when you need to express confidence in them and not step in. Same way Heavenly Father does. And there are other times when we need to step in a little bit and help them. And so the the application of I'm never going to step in, the application of I'm never going to say anything in order to spare feelings, in order to make sure I don't accidentally say something unkind absolutely looks like a distortion of satan's in order i loved your application of it to separate us that the gospel is all about family and togetherness and here we go teamwork bearing one another's burdens mourning with those that mourn but if someone is mourning and i'm too afraid to say something that might accidentally hurt their feelings that prevents me from mourning with them in the in an attempt to be kind and of service i'm actually falling away thank you for that perspective I want to say, and especially with the grief, with that, you know, not saying anything. I recall people, you know, saying, you know, not to say anything because it's just going to cause more pain. Well, they're already, you know, and sometimes people, you know, like to tell stories about the person they lost, and and or for you to share a sweet story about the person, and it it helps. But there was a long time. I mean, in my life growing up, where you know, it, it's like you, know, you didn't want you didn't want to cause them more pain. Well, yeah, th- that that wasn't the truth of it. They were already in pain. I mean, the, the worst thing you could say, you know, was, "Oh, I understand how you feel," because grief is so individual. So that I know you would never say, but yeah, the I might have already told the story, but I'm going to share it again. So when my life was imploding and I was separated, I ended up in this family gathering. It was like a month after separation and around the same time, my aunt had broken her ankle. And so I walk into the room and everyone is just kind of silently awkward because we all know like Ashley's going through this huge thing, but nobody wanted to cause me more pain. Exactly what you were saying. Nobody wanted to add to it, make me think about it or cause more pain or accidentally hurt my feelings. And so nobody said anything. We just sat there. Meanwhile, in comes my aunt. She's broken her ankle so badly that she's on one of those little knee scooter things. So she scoots her way into the room and immediately, oh, what happened? How did you do that? When did you do that? Do you think you'll ever go to that place again? How, what's, what's for your future? Do you have surgery coming up? Do you need to do these things? And I sat there and it hit me that I was in just as much pain as she was, but all of mine was internal and nobody knew what to do with it because it's not obvious. But because she was there, everyone was able to ask all of these questions. And I just wanted the exact same questions to come to me 
to acknowledge that I had experienced this big thing, that it was hard and I wanted part of that. And then I had this one relative who he's not the most well-versed in social cues. So these random cues of don't talk about things because you might add more pain didn't stick with him. And he sits down and just goes, Ashley, what are you going to do? Like, do you even have a job? Do you have a place to live? What is your plan? And immediately I felt this relief. Now, I don't think everyone is going to need that exact attention, but just an acknowledgement that there is something painful happening here versus the I can't say anything because I don't want to hurt their feelings. It can be important sometimes for people. And versus the I don't want to say anything because it will just make it harder for them. It will just remind them of this person that they've lost. We all want, they want to talk about them for a little bit. Often, always. But okay, now that we've accepted that perhaps our understanding of service is not exactly what it was as we were growing up and raised, we're going to shift into what it could be now. What service and boundaries look like together? What love and boundaries look like together? And we're going to start just basic again. We're going to start very simple and review what is a boundary. So this is from the book Boundaries by Townsend and Cloud. And they describe them as boundaries define us. They define what is me and what is not me. A boundary shows me where I end and someone else begins, and it leads me to a sense of ownership. If I know where my yard begins and ends, I am free to do with it what I like. Taking responsibility for my life opens up many different options. In addition to showing us what we are responsible for, boundaries help us define what is not our property, what we are not responsible for. We are not, for example, responsible for other people. Nowhere are we commanded to have other control, only self-control. So boundaries are really just, what is my responsibility and what am I going to do with that responsibility? Okay, what does a boundary look like? In the physical world, boundaries are easy to see. Fences, signs, walls, moats with alligators, manicured lawns, and hedges are all physical boundary. They differ in appearance, but they send the message, this is where my property begins. The owner is responsible for what happens on their property. The non-owners are not responsible. In the spiritual world, boundaries are just as real, but often harder to see. The concept of boundaries comes from the very nature of God. God defines himself. He defines and takes responsibility for his personality. He tells us what he thinks, what he feels, what he allows. God also limits what he will allow in his yard. He confronts sin and allows consequences for behavior. He invites people in who will love him and lets his love flow outward toward them at the same time. The gates of his boundary often open and close appropriately. This was my light bulb moment, acknowledging that God is a God of boundaries and looking at the applications of that. Even just the three degrees of glory are all boundaries. <laughs> the whole thing is, this is the celestial yard and what goes in that yard. This is the celestial yard. This is the terrestrial yard. Here are the boundaries within that. And you get to choose which boundaries you want to live within. No unclean thing can dwell with God. That's a boundary. It's probably a boundary based out of science. I think that God works in science. So there's probably this like, it just doesn't work. There's not, there's not the ability for unclean things to live with me. So there's just this statement of truth that no unclean things dwell with God. But it's still a boundary. Just an acknowledgement that this is the truth of the situation. I'm trying to think of another boundary. I will forgive who I will forgive, but of you it is required to forgive all men. That's a boundary. God gets to decide who he's going to forgive and how it's going to look and what's going to look like. That's him stating his personal boundary on forgiveness. So all throughout the scriptures, we're going to find examples of boundaries and that God is a God of boundaries. 
Today, we're going to, oh, we're going to talk a little bit more about just what boundaries look like and what's within them. And then we're going to delve into a scripture story that's all about boundaries. One of my favorites. Here's our last look at just the definition of what boundaries are. And then if we have any questions and clarifying, we'll stop and talk about that. So things that are within my boundaries. I'm responsible for my feelings, my attitudes and beliefs, my behaviors, my choices, my values, my limits, my resources and my gifts, my thoughts, my desires, my love. There might be a few other things added to that list, but it's pretty all-encompassing. These are the things that I am responsible for. I am not responsible for other choices, other people's choices, for other people's behaviors, for other people's feelings. If I say an, an unkind, I'm putting quotes because I don't think that's necessarily always true. I'm still not responsible for hurting their feelings. If I accidentally say something, their feelings are their behavior, are their boundaries, long words. My feelings, my behaviors are mine. And so acknowledging that is really where we begin. Because then we can start talking about what is my responsibility. So there's our definition of boundaries. Any question on this definition and what boundaries are? Okay. We're going to turn then into chapter four of Mosiah. Now here is just a scripture that we are going to apply to the story of I've forgotten the name of their people, the Anti-Nephi-Lehi's. Okay, so we're going to read the scripture in Mosiah and then talk about the story of the Anti-Nephi-Lehi's. What I love about this scripture in Mosiah chapter 4, verses 26 and 27, is that it, it tells us exactly how to serve. I would that ye should impart every man according to what he hath such as feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, visiting the sick, administering to their relief, both spiritually and temporally according to their wants. And see that all these things are done in wisdom and order, for it is not requisite that a man should run faster than he has strength. So this scripture is very clearly about service. It's come not too long after the other Mosiah scripture that we read that's all about service. So they're talking about serving others the whole time in here. And notice what he says. He wants us to impart, but not just impart everything. Impart according to that which he hath. So the people who are able, they have abundance of food, should probably feed the hungry. Those whose children have grown out of clothes and have an abundance of clothing, let's help clothe the naked. If you have the ability to visit the sick, to administer, if you have that, that's something you can impart on, both spiritually and temporally. So the first step of being able to identify boundaries in service is acknowledging what it is that I have. What do I have? What are my skills? What are my talents? What are my gifts? What are some of the reasons God's put me on this earth at this time? What do I have right now? And then in verse 27, he says, see that all these things are done in wisdom and order. Heavenly Father does not want us to run ragged. <laughs> he doesn't want us to be depleted. He doesn't want us to be resentful. So he's going to tell us to do these things in wisdom and order. Four, here's why. It is not requisite that a man should run faster than he has strength. So the second part is acknowledging what I can do. What are my limits? What can I do? I cannot run that fast, but it's also not requisite that I need to. I cannot hit everyone in the ward. It's also not requisite that I need to. That's not something I can do, and that's okay. So keeping in mind these two things, paying attention to what I have and what I can do when I'm giving service, let's talk about the anti-Nephi-Lehi's. So we have this scripture, Alma 24, verses 17 and 18, but let me check my notes real quick, sorry. 
and see if I need to set it up. Background. Okay, so Alma and the sons of Mosiah, they've been sent out on missions. They've been gone for 14 years and they've converted tons of people. It's just this incredible mission that they have. Some of the people they convert are King Laban with the sons of Mosiah. The Lamanites are really ferocious at this time and they're attacking and attacking and attacking. And then we have Ammon and he's talking to King Lamoni and he's the one that cuts off the arms of all the people. Then King Lamoni and Ammon go and they talk to Aaron, who's Lamoni's father. And he's the king of all these people of Medoni. And those are the people that we're referring to. These people of Medoni are ferocious back. They're these Lamanites that have been fighting and they've got all of this ferocity. They've been battling and battling and battling. And then they join the church. And when they get baptized, they, this is what they say. That's where we're at. Okay. When they get baptized, in Alma chapter 24, verses 17, this is what happens. And now it came to pass that when the king had made an end of these sayings and all the people were assembled together, they took their swords and all the weapons which were used for the shedding of man's blood, and they did bury them deep in the earth. And this they did, it being their view, in their view, a testimony to God and also to men that they would never use weapons again for the shedding of man's blood. And this they did, vouching and covenanting with God, that rather than shed the blood of their brethren, they would give up their own lives. And rather than take away from a brother, they would give unto him. And rather, they, rather than spend their days in idleness, they would labor abundantly with their hands. So these people who have spent their whole lives being ferocious, learning about war and hate and battles, have decided that one of the things they need to acknowledge, a personal boundary they're implementing into their life, is that they've got this addiction to bloodshed. That's how they describe it. They were addicted to bloodshed. <laughs> that they, that's just something that seems to drive them. So they set this personal boundary. I can't even be around a weapon because I acknowledge some of the limits that I have. So I'm going to put this personal boundary of myself. I'm going to bury them. I'm going to make sure they aren't there. That's a weakness that I've got. I'm going to make sure that I'm not even tempting myself. So imagine these ferocious people who are described as being addicted to bloodshed. That are, They can't be around a weapon, so they're going to bury them. Now they're being attacked and they're not going to take up a weapon. And so they're being slaughtered and they're being attacked over and over and over again. And rather than take up their weapon, they're, they're sticking with their boundary. They would rather give up their own life than take up the weapon. But they come to Ammon and Ammon says, they come to Ammon and they ask if there's a place where they can live. Ammon's got the people in Jershon and they, they say, we're being slaughtered. Can you help? And I just want to talk for just a second about the people who must be following Ammon. How would you feel if this group of bloodthirsty Lamanites who were addicted to bloodshed so much they had to bury their weapons came and said, hey, can we live with you? We're being attacked. And so we don't want to be attacked anymore. So can we live with you? Would that be okay? How would you feel? I know I'd be super uncomfortable with it. I have weapons at my house. What if they're at my house and they can't control it? Like what? I would have a hard time. So Ammon inquires of the Lord. And this is what happens. Now we're in Alma chapter 27. And it came to pass that Ammon went and inquired of the Lord. And the Lord said unto him, and he gives him an answer. And then Ammon comes to the people and says, is it okay? So the Lord says, talk to your people. And it came to pass that the voice of the people came saying, behold, this is what the people have decided. We will give up the land of Jershon, which is east by the sea which joins the land bountiful, which is south of the land of bountiful. And this land, Jershon, is the land that we will give unto them for an inheritance. 
And behold, we will set our armies between the land Jershon and the land Nephi, that we may protect our brethren in the land Jershon. And this we will do for our brethren on account of their fear to take up arms against their brethren, lest they should commit sin. And this is their great fear because of their sore repentance which they had and account of their many murders and their awful wickedness. And now behold, this is what we will do to our brethren, that they may inherit the land Jershon, and we will guard them from our enemies and our armies on the condition that they will give us a portion of their substance to assist us, that we may maintain our armies. So these people, what they give, I think, is pretty incredible. They give a whole land. Sure, we will accept these people, these anti-Nephi-Lehi's. They can have the land Jershon. We'll continue to live where we are living. They will have the land Jershon. And we will help guard them. We'll send some armies to go protect and battle them. We respect that their limit is that they cannot take up arms. But this is something that we can do for them. Notice what they don't do. They don't say, sure, let's bring them into our homes. They don't say, they can come have half of our village. I don't know why. I'm not there. But I think it's kind of fascinating that what they do is we recognize there we have this land that is available and that we can do so we can send an army to do these things. They acknowledge what they have. They acknowledge what they can do. And they make decisions based on that. And then notice they say, but if we do this, it's going to be kind of hard on us. So something that we're also going to need is for them to give us a portion of their, of their substance to assist us with these armies. So yeah, we can go and we can guard. But if we do that, we're not going to be able to feed our armies. So we're going to need to make sure that they're also feeding us. This is a very healthy boundary. It's beautiful to watch how they acknowledge what they have and what they can do. And then they find a way to help their brethren. Then it continues because this story continues for a while. It goes on to Alma 53. It has been 10 years later, and now we've got Lamanites attacking Jershon. Nephites are dying, and these people of Ammon are thinking about breaking their oath. I don't even blame them. Think about it. They've, they just came to this land, and these people said, sure, come, you can have a place to live, and also you can, we will come defend you. And now these people who were raised in a way that included bloodshed. They were used to defending themselves. They were used to fighting. This is what they did. They think, we're just, we're not helping right now. We need to do something. So they're considering breaking their oath. They're having a hard time watching the people of Alman, Alma give their lives. So it continues in Alma 53 and says, But behold, it came to pass that they had many sons who had not entered into covenant, that they would not take up their weapons to war, defend themselves against their enemies. Therefore, they did assemble themselves together at this time as many as were able to take up arms, and they called themselves Nephites. And they entered into a covenant to fight for the liberty of the Nephites, yea, to protect the land unto the laying down of their lives. Yea, even they covenanted that they never would give up their liberty, but that they would fight in all cases to protect the Nephites and themselves from bondage. So here we have now these, these sons that have been raised seeing both sides. They probably saw all of their dads going off to battle and attack and defend. And then they probably saw all of their family purposely choosing not to. And they had to figure out what it was that they had and what it was that they could do. They had a different covenant that they could make. And it was going to look different and feel different than what their parents had done. And they could go to battle. So they personally chose, this is, this is what we have available for us. This is what we can do. And this is what we can help. So this is why I love this story. <laughs> These sons step up to defend 2,000 of them. All of them were injured, but none of them died, which is just miraculous. 
just to end the story because it's out there. But thinking about this idea of acknowledging what it is that I have and what it is that I can do as we're setting limits and boundaries around our service, what thoughts come to your mind? It, it makes me think of the scripture. I'm sorry, I don't have the reference of cheerfully do all things that lie in your power and wait for the arm of the Lord to be revealed. In other words, give as much as you can give and be happy about it and not feel like you're, you're being, you know, because if you do, if you serve somebody and you're annoyed the whole time you're pulling their weeds or if you're giving something that you don't want to give, it's, it's not, it's, it counts against you or, you know, and it's not, you're not giving them love either. You're, you're giving them, you know, you're doing the thing for them with a dose of, you know, <laughs> I'm annoyed by this. <laughs> it's just not loving. And, and it, it's, you know, yeah, it's, it's not really serving it for, for us. It's not giving and then for them, it's, they're not receiving. I mean, you can tell when somebody's doing something and they're annoyed by doing it. So I really think it comes down to what do I really have that I could freely give that I feel like is I have an abundance of and not feel resentful or angry about. I think yeah. that's the bottom line. Yeah, that's where the boundary is, right? An awareness of what it is that I have an abundance of, what I can do. Because when we are acting and trying to serve in a way that we don't actually have that in our bucket to do, we end up resentful. We end up feeling that like dragging our feet. We end up pulling the weeds and hating every second of it because I don't actually have that time or I don't actually have that energy. I don't actually have that. And so I'm not giving according to what I have. I'm giving according to what I felt like somebody was pressuring me to do, which is just going to lead me to be resentful versus. And I like, I like what we talked last time about how feelings are our friends and they have messages for us. So that scripture you just gave about cheerfully do all things that lie in your power cheer that cheerfully thing that comes in as a message of yes great job you have found what you can do you have found what you have and you're doing according to those two things versus the resentment or the frustration or the draining or the overwhelm sometimes right when those ones are coming in saying you didn't actually have this in your bucket you're trying to give and you didn't have it so changing gears what is it that i can cheerfully give what do i have that i would feel so good sharing with someone serving them in that way. Thanks for bringing that scripture. I love that. Am I not? Yes, we can hear you oh. quietly. Okay. There you are. Okay. Can you hear me better? Yes. Turned up. I just have loved it because I love just kind of talking through these myths, you know, that we've kind of trained our minds to believe sometimes. And just the power, I just keep thinking of the power of the the spirit in guiding us right like like you're you're talking about and how you know what do we have what can we give and I love that if if we're feeling cheerful about it then we're in a good that's a good message because that's something that we actually can give and what a good guide for recognizing our boundary you know because like I was talking about before where you're you're always just supposed to be nice and never say anything but then who keeps track of your feelings you you're just supposed to be nice but oh someone was mean to you and nobody's taking care of you but this gives us kind of a way to help of like this is how i can monitor 
my boundary. Because sometimes I am like, I don't even know where to make a boundary in this. But I loved how you said that, that, you know, if you're feeling cheerful about this, that's a good indicator that you're in what you can give. And I just really, that just really was emphasized to me. So yeah, I really appreciate that. And I, I think it's been so good for me because I've been thinking like, this is so exciting because I feel like it's going to help just in our own confidence, because I realize a lot of these scenarios, I just doubt myself in, in, you know, in all of these, like having confidence in the spirit versus in, in my decisions going, is that a good boundary? Is that not a good boundary? You know? And it's like this, you know, and I, and I was with someone who is super strong on their opinions all the time, super confident all the time. But I'm like, where's my, where's my balance of, I want to be open to the spirit and be open to the fact that I could be wrong. And I, so I'm trying to manage this of like, how do I be confident in myself, but also open to the spirit that the Lord's teaching me and I'm not going to do everything right. And my opinion isn't law. And, you know, so maybe down the road, we'll talk about that, but I just love, because I'm really excited to kind of get more of this confidence of the spirit guiding me in my own decision like that. Yes. And I, I think we said this last week too. Sorry, I repeat myself a lot. But President Nelson tells us that good information leads to good inspiration. So when you start with things like, what do I have and what can I do? And let me just take stock of that. And then we look for the inspiration. Then we have that awareness of the spirit and we have the ability to receive more fine-tuned inspiration based on where we're actually at with the information that we have to help guide us in our service. Yeah, go ahead. What, what struck, out, struck me is that these people were on the verge of giving up their boundaries. When the sons stepped in and said, no, 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 you know, we, we didn't make this covenant, you know, let us do this. And how many times we come across something that and probably, you know, we may be talking about this eventually where we feel like, oh, is this a time to give up our boundary? You know, and yeah. I, 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 that, that kind of struck out this time to me that I didn't really, really think about that. They, they were on the verge of, of, you know, not, you know, because they felt so strongly about what was happening yeah. and everything. But then there was another way for them to be able to maintain their covenants. I imagine they were beginning to feel very strongly guilt. They were getting to feel a lot of guilt, a lot of shame, a lot of embarrassment, a lot of like discomfort. How do I go spend time with my neighbor whose husband just went out and died while he was defending me because I'm not going to defend? And I don't know about you guys, but quite often when I have set a boundary, and it hits that point where do I keep my boundary or do I not? The idea of not keeping my boundary comes from the, the discomfort, the guilt, the shame, the embarrassment, the how do I engage in this respectfully when people maybe don't quite, when I'm, we don't have anything in there that tells us the Nephites were resentful. They gave according to what they had and according to what they were doing, they were okay with it. They were not resentful. We don't have anything in there that tells us they are. So the assumption I'm making, and it's a big assumption because we don't have, you know, these pieces of the story. But the assumption that I'm making is that internally, 
these anti-Nephite Lehi's were fighting those battles. And if the, internally they're fighting those battles, more likely Satan was in there going, can you believe they're doing this? Can you believe that you should be ashamed of yourself? Like, how embarrassing is this that you're not standing up for yourself? I can't believe you have this boundary. You are being such a burden. You could do this yourself. Why aren't you? Why aren't you? Why aren't you? Right? He's coming in there with his own lies and they're going, I don't have any other things to tell me that's not true because logically it looks like I probably am a burden. Sometimes when people are giving service to us or me, I'll speak for myself, when people are giving service to me, those are the same lies that I hear, that I'm such a burden and I don't have any truth to show that I'm not. I don't have, I don't have that person that's serving me constantly saying, no, I'm doing great. This is wonderful. I love service. That's, that's just not reality usually. And so what I see when the, I see these people on the verge of giving up their boundary, I see these people on the verge of really battling with Satan now that they've got that shame and that guilt going on. And I love that it results in them withholding their, with keeping in their boundary. And when they do, because God is a God of boundaries, as they have set this boundary with the spirit guided by God, according to what they have and what they can do, as they hold their boundary, that's when the miracles come. That's when the sun stepped up and none of them even died. God is a God of boundaries, and so is his spirit. And as we spiritually converse with him to guide our boundaries, to ensure that the boundaries we have set are ones that he's like, yep, I can see why this is good. You've covenanted with me not to shed blood. This is good, right? He's got, we've got his stamp of approval. When we hold those boundaries, that's when miracles come. So no wonder Satan doesn't want us to hold them. No wonder he wants to come in and give us all of these reasons why we shouldn't hold that boundary. Of course, he doesn't want that miracle to come. He doesn't want those things to happen. The other, the easiest way I have found to battle that particular line of attack, and this is me personally, so it might not work for everyone, is to acknowledge, where am I at? 1 Corinthians 12. I'll just share my screen as we read through this too. Okay, so in 1 Corinthians 12, we're talking about the different gifts of the Spirit and all of these different things that we can have. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For unto one it is given by the Spirit of the Word of Wisdom, to another it's given the Word of Knowledge, Faith, Healing, Miracles. And then we get down here, for the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. And for the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body. Is it real? So as I'm seeing this, I'm imagining my body and I'm imagining my foot going, I wish I were a hand. Like the hand does so much more. The hand is all of the hands on stuff. And all I'm doing is just sitting here on the ground all the time. And I'm imagining my hand going, that fe those feet carry the load. How embarrassing for me that I'm not ever carrying part of the load, that I'm not the one doing all of the footwork, doing all of the legwork, trying to get things done. All I do is hold things. How boring for me. Like I'm everyone. I'm such a burden. Everyone's just holding me. Right. And then the nose is like, well, I don't do anything. I just sit here on the face <laughs> that when these pieces begin to battle themselves and feel ashamed and embarrassed and wishing that they were these other pieces, it's because they haven't really acknowledged their own purpose. And so looking back at this story where we have the anti-Nephi Lehi's and then we have the Nephites, they've all become Nephites now.
But we have this one who's really strong covenant, probably has lots of incredible talents and have brought lots of incredible blessings to the whole. But if they're only focusing on, we're not the ones doing the legwork anymore. And so what a burden are we? Then they're going to end up in that resentment also. They're going to end up feeling like we should just break the boundary. Because if I'm a hand and I'm feeling like I'm such a burden because the foot's carrying me, well, I guess it's time for me to just walk on my hands. But that doesn't work out. It doesn't actually work. So where we battle that is to really look at what our internal, why have I forgotten the word for boundary that I just taught you last week? Inclusion. Inclusion boundaries. Who am I? Who am I? What's my purpose? What are my talents? What do I have and what can I do? And as we really acknowledge those pieces of the boundary, it helps battle that idea that I'm not doing enough, that I'm not, that I'm just a burden, that I should be doing more and I'm not doing all of the things that she's doing. She brings casseroles to every funeral. And you know what? I barely feed my own kids, right? When we look at the things that we aren't doing, we forget to see the things that we are doing, which is where those inclusion boundaries come in. Who am I? What do I do? What do I have? And what can I do with that? That's where we figure out our service abilities. We have 10 more minutes, give or take. So maybe let's do five minutes of questionings and then we can do some takeaways. If you guys have any questions or comments about this, or we can switch to takeaways. No one has questions or comments. I have a question in yeah. terms of, and part of the problem is, is that I didn't attend last, the last class. So I have, and I didn't get the entire recording. So I, I can only listen to the first 15 minutes of it. But could you just list those in what's in the, involved in the inclusion boundaries again for me? I Absolutely. Yeah. So when I think boundaries, I think they are divided into three categories and we have time. So I'll just tell you the metaphor that helps me remember them. There's boundaries for protection, which are boundaries that are just all encompassing. They are, this is what I live by all the time. So imagining that you are a mother taking an elementary age child to the park. One of your protection boundaries is we don't talk to strangers. That's not something we're going to do. This is just our rule that's applicable to all things. When you get to the park, you look and survey the area and you see that over here, there's a sidewalk with a busy road on the other side. And over there are some trees and you can't see behind them. And you're going to sit over here. And so you tell your child, we're not going to go past the sidewalk. Stay within the sidewalk. Don't go past the trees and don't go behind me. I need you to stay where I can see you. That's going to be a safety boundary. It's based on that situation situational right now what does my boundary need to be to keep us safe to have safety in the moment and then there's inclusion boundaries and inclusion boundaries are about your behaviors and what you value and what you will do so in this story the inclusion boundary as a parent you value your child's safety so you will make sure you sit on a bench where you can see your children as they are running and playing in the different areas to ensure that you're able to watch over them and keep them safe and you're probably going to put your phone away or you're going to have snacks so they come and check in with you regularly or whatever other things that you're going to do to ensure their safety. Those are inclusion boundaries. So those are the kind of boundaries we we're just talking about. Who am I? What do I do? What do I have? Thanks for asking that. I'm glad that you did. Okay, so think over our last just short of 90 minutes together. And oh, yeah, no, go ahead. I missed the first th myth. Boundary myths. I missed the first two, I think. Okay. Our first two boundary myths. Oh, that's what I did. The first one was myth number one. I'm 100% responsible for providing others the help they need. 
That's the first myth. And the truth is that the Savior is the only healer. He's the one that provides. We can just be there to love others and to offer our strength and perspective when we can or when they're open to it because they get to decide that too. And then myth number two is I should be the expert on solving everyone's problems versus the reality, which again is just to love and minister and let the Savior do the healing. All right. So think about your takeaway. What are you going to do? And I'm going to direct your takeaway today. I want you to take away something for your head that you're going to think about, something for your heart that may be impacted an emotion somewhere, and something for your feet. What are you going to do? So what will you contemplate? What impacted an emotion? And what will you do? That's our takeaway question for today. So give me one thing for each of those, if you can. If you can't, it's okay. Acknowledge what you have and what you can do and give me what you have. Repeat that for each with the head, heart, and feet. Head, heart, and feet. So I want so I think I want something that you're gonna think about over the next two weeks until we're together again. I want something that impacted an emotion that you heard today that just I don't know, resonated a little bit. And then something that you want to do. Your feet. What are you gonna change? What are you gonna do to apply something that you learned today? So when you're ready, take a moment to contemplate those. And when you're ready, give me your head, heart, feet. And we'll go from there. Okay, I'm going to give my heart first. Okay. Because these scare me. Talking about boundaries scares me. And so I think I'm going to be thinking about, I, I really hope I can, I can listen to the first one again because I, I am intrigued by this Bill of Rights. Although I, have, I, I know there are others, other places that I can, I can look up. And, and then something I want to do is I want to write letters to myself about this and about why I'm afraid and what's, you know, I really kind of explore that maybe because of what was said earlier about the fact that, we're, you know, we're, we're concerned about her and not hurting other people's feelings, but I think just getting in touch with, you know, our own, our own feelings. So that's what I got. Thank you. Letters to self is a brilliant foot. Thank you. Yeah, I just think this is all so good. And I, I really want to think about like when you, when you gave that list of the, what I'm responsible for, like the boundaries, the feelings, attitudes, beliefs, behaviors, choices, kind of like Lucretia, I'm like, I, I need to know in myself more, like thinking about what I feel in all those areas, you know, and, and sometimes I, I know, but then I doubt or I think, oh, I don't know if that's, there. you know what I mean? So I really want to kind of do more on that of writing it down and kind of doing more on my bill of rights and writing down what I think and believe and my values and just kind of bringing it in a little bit more to clarify, because I just have felt excited about this connection of the service scene of being okay where you're at and what you have to give. And so that's kind of what I'm going to, that really connected me with my feelings of, you know, this is what you have, this is what you can give, and then you can be okay with it and get the Lord's seal of approval. So awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks for sharing. You're welcome. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about a book that I read a long time ago that says, when I know, say no, I feel guilty. 
That was, that was the title of a book. When I say, say no, I feel guilty. And, and I'm just thinking that not, and, and for me though, when I say no, I, I get frightened. <laughs> so anyway, that, that will be something to explore. Definitely. Okay. For my head, I want to think about, am I doing too much or am I not doing enough? Just, just kind of think about that as I go through my day. And for my emotion is trying to have love for myself and others. And then for my feet, I think I need to write a, help the bill, my bill of rights for my home, for, for, for what safety I want in my home and post it <laughs> when I get it to the point of where I'm ready to post it, but like on my fridge or something, you know, this is the, this is what we value in our home. This is what I think is important, you know, so that we can all feel safe and happy and, and, you know, have our needs taken care of. So. Thanks for sharing. I'm going to add, you said the thing you want to think about is, am I doing too much or am I not doing enough? And I want you to give yourself one more option or is this exactly right? Right. Am I doing okay? Right now, if my body needs a nap, then me taking a nap is doing exactly right. Right now, if my children need food, then me feeding them is exactly right. I don't need to be doing all of the other things. So give yourself that option too. Or is this exactly right? And check in with the spirit. Thanks for sharing. Okay. I think I really liked at the beginning in those myths when you talked about the savior is the healer, but we can be a part of the healing community. So I'm going to think about that more and what that might look like for me. In the heart, I thought of just because boundaries are starting to become more clear, they're not so much a big question mark anymore. But I want to think more about what I'm feeling when I set a boundary and what I feel like breaking it. Where is this feeling coming from? So that's something I'll, I'll kind of go with. And then I feel prompted to, to talk with my son and, and start a boundary because I feel I'm noticing that, oh, this could work better and that they don't need to work. Mom doesn't need to do everything. And mom can, mom can say, this is like that scripture you shared with the the, the people of Ammon saying, hey, we need food to sustain our armies. We will protect you. And this is what we need. So I feel like, hey, that's something I can do. So that's something I'm going to try in the next two weeks. Yeah. Love it. Thanks for sharing. And contemplate what would have happened if the Antony Philehis had said, no, we're not going to give you sustenance. What would they have done? Because where did that come from? How did they come up with that idea that we need this? And what would have happened if they had said no? We don't know that, but I think we can contemplate on it and maybe draw some conclusions and help guide our own decisions and our own discussions that we're having with people. Thanks so much, everyone. I've really appreciated the conversations that we've had, the insights that you guys have brought. So thank you. Thanks for being here. Thanks, everyone. Thank you so much, Ashley. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Did you note any questions? Well... Get ready to note several wonderful things Mother to Know has for you. But first, I want to express a special appreciation to the incredible women who added so much to this series. We love you, ladies, and thank you for your generous service to all of us. First, Tuesday, August 30th at 11 a.m. Mountain Time, come join us with your pockets full of your questions at our 90-minute Q&A with Ashley Lovett in our Warrior Mothers Who Know meeting all about boundaries. 
you will be happy to know that Ashley Lovett is offering an awesome boundaries class starting in September. See more info about this in the show notes. You might want to get to know Ashley better. Check out our Like Dragons Did They Fight podcast channel where she shares her two-part story, episodes 119 and 120. August 23rd, our Stay by the Tree Messages of Hope webinar series starts at 9 a.m. Mountain Time. Ashley will be presenting her message of hope to us on August 30th. Join us Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Mountain Time for our online Mom Power Live meeting. All women have mother hearts. We are currently linking arms in our open enrollment Mom Power training series. This online self-paced class is free to all women. It offers a live connection with other moms who are seeking for more peace, purpose, and hope through Christ. Come and connect with us. We need you there. One of the super empowering things offered at Mothers You Know is Team Mom Power. Women are connecting weekly in small collaborative groups, applying mom power principles in attentive, powerful, heartfelt ways. We are stronger together. We are crushing the enemy of our soul when we defy isolation and power up with like-minded, Christ-centered women. Your team is waiting for you. And if you missed any of this information, it's all in the show notes. You are amazing and so appreciated for listening. We would love to hear what you're thinking about our Boundaries series. Let us know by emailing mothersyouknow at lifechangingservices.org. See you next time.